Welcome to the Like Dragons Did They Fight podcast. I am so glad you're here. And I'm so thrilled today to discuss some really important things in this podcast episode. I have three guests here, and one of which I just really am so excited that he's here. Maurice Harker, the director of Life Changing Services, is here. And the reason why I am happy that you're listening is because I think one of the greatest things that we can fight for that we will discuss here today in our podcast is our families and how much we care about their safety and their healthy growth. And I think Maurice, as the director of life-changing services, he's very familiar with how important that is for families to remain safe and One of the things that we promote at Life Changing Services is training and healing for the whole family. And so, just so you know what resources are available for you at Life Changing Services, in case maybe you just know of one thing, there are many things that we do here to train and heal the whole family. So, Maurice, I'm going to let you go for it and tell everybody what you're so passionate about and how just starting with one place, caring about how people get caught in unsafe places and what that leads to led to all of this training and healing for the whole family. Thank you, Karen. And I'm excited for y'all to meet Natalie and Nickling and the work that they do. I'm still shocked as to the evolution of our desire to serve people. Whenever I'm asked this question, I go back to back in the beginning, back before 2005 when I was just a little guy in a little office, and the the poem or story that had a huge impact on me back then was the starfish thrower story, where I saw all this work that needed to be done, and I didn't have enough time to do it, so I just picked up one starfish and threw it out in the water. So my initial goal as a therapist was to just serve one person at a time and see if I could make a difference. A few months later, a few weeks later, as I got, it, got rolling, I was introduced or reminded of a population that I'm very familiar with, which is teenage boys. I am one of nine sons and no daughters. And so I have a deep awareness of all the neat stuff that guys get to go through, especially guys in our culture who want to go on missions and start healthy families, et cetera. And so as I was doing pre-mission assessments for LDS Family Services, the need for a training system for young men to acquire what we now call sexual self-mastery. We used to call it things like pornography addiction or sexual addiction. And while that's still a thing, we've broadened our scope because we want and we desire as men to have sexual self-mastery. We're not satisfied with only not having an addiction. And so Sons of Healing was born underneath the umbrella of life-changing services. And then for a while there, I was all plugging along and moving along and serving a few people there. And someone came to me and says, hey, my son has been going to your program. Don't tell anyone just yet, but I, as an adult man, have a similar problem. Do you have something for us dads, us adult men? I'm a, oh my goodness, I don't have a lot of spare time, but if you want to help, we could probably put something together for the men. And so 
with a lot of help from more volunteers and more participants, Men of Moroni was created. Around the same time, another person came to me, a woman who had been observing what we do, and she says, I am interested and amazed by what you do. I was reading your book, Like Dragons Did They Fight, and I noticed that it applies to me on a whole different way because I want some self-mastery too. I want to become a better person too. And so another program was started through volunteers and efforts called Eternal Warriors, which is a training system for anyone using the same principles who just wants to gain self-mastery in just about any other area. It was not too distant from this time that one of the moms came to me and says, I'm a mom. I want to help. I want to make a difference. And there's lots of moms out there who aren't necessarily seeking self-mastery, but they'd sure like to know what the heck is going on and how we can help. And so another team was created called Mothers Who Know, which was started and continues to be led by Karen Broadhead, our host today. Since that time, uh, those are, are, are three of our main organizations. But sadly, at the same time, I was getting to know lots of adult men who were struggling with sexual self-mastery. Lo and behold, I met their wives, okay? The wives who were experiencing something that we now call betrayal trauma, especially sexual betrayal trauma. And the WORTH group was created, which is an acronym for Women of Rebirth Therapeutic Healing and it has grown into a substantial organization with volunteers and with staff members who help run that. And so we do have several other systems and programs that along the way, the Daughters of Light, which is the mirror image version of Sons of Healing for the women who wish to acquire sexual self-mastery. I don't know that we have time to cover everything, but since then, back when I was just chucking starfish, the people who have joined us through professional skill, through therapists, secretaries, database observers, marketing specialists, etc. I was recently informed that we now have over 100 team members uh, with life-changing services, and we're serving over 1,500 people per week with our systems. Now, in moments like this, when I get to meet uh, Natalie and Nicolene, I've known Natalie for a little bit longer, and Nicolene and I have been in vague association with us for some time. It's not weird to me anymore to meet more people who follow Elder Uchtdorf's comment, lift where you stand. There's so many places to lift. There's so much work that needs to be done. I personally don't have the type of mind that is skilled at paying attention to societal dynamics, to government-based dynamics, to political-based dynamics. To fulfill my stewardships, I need to stay very focused on the psychological, spiritual side of the war for families, for individuals, for marriages. And so I enjoy teaming up with people who can lift where they stand because I'm not standing where they stand. We have some strategies, some methodology that we're going to be using in the near future to team up our strengths and our skills so that we can have even more of an impact on families. I come from a position of changing things from the inside out where if you help someone think differently and feel differently and process information differently, it can change their behavior. 
in the meantime, we have threats from an outside source that we don't need to ignore. It is unwise to ignore. And so we want to do the most we can. We want to do the best we can. And I appreciate people like Natalie and Nicolene who are specialists at paying attention to the things I don't pay attention to. So during our conversation today, please listen carefully. Please ponder ways that you can use your superpowers, otherwise known as spiritual gifts, because that's what we've learned is how we do miracles. We each bring our best self and our best skills to the table. We harness them and align them with others and with the power of God. And we can fight for the protection of families and for the growth of families and for the development of strong relationships where we bond with each other and contribute to the community. So that's some background, Karen. Is that helpful? So helpful and so inspiring. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here at Life Changing Services and be part of that training and healing for the whole family. And Natalie and Nicolene, you are here today, and I would love for you to introduce yourselves. But one of the things that I'm excited for personally just to be here as a host of this podcast is just that, you know, I am a mom and I have 10 grandkids and I have five children. And so, oh, I just feel so appreciative of your warrior hearts and your efforts to lift where you stand. So, Natalie, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself, let us know a little bit about who you are and your family and things like that. And then we'll go to Nicolene and then to our topic. Well, great. I am so happy to be here. This is such an honor for me to um, be able to hopefully give back to to life-changing services in some way. I met Maurice several years ago, after, right after a divorce, because of a, a, you know my previous husband's pornography addiction, and then finding out right after that that I had a son that was struggling with it, and I was devastated, thinking, "This is never going to go away." <laughs> and so bringing him, and I, then I, you know. I heard about Maurice and what, what an answer to prayer that was, because I think the Lord knew that I needed hope <laughs> that, that this could be overcome and that there were resources out there that could really help turn this particular struggle into a strength and help our youth become not just to master their sexuality, but that they could become great warriors and for the truth and for what's right because of this experience that it could become a great blessing in their life. And, you know, I, my son had to go through it a few times to finally figure out and do it for himself and get that right. And he got home from his mission during this whole COVID thing and he is doing so well. And it's just such a testimony to me that the atonement really does work and that these skills that Maurice teaches work and there's great cause for hope. And, you know, I think it's the hardest part. So I have, I have three girls and then my son is the youngest and, and I've since remarried and have four more stepkids and life is good. And if you had told me when I first showed up at Maurice's that life could be so good, I think I would have doubted that because <laughs> it was really dark for a long time, but there really is light at the end of the tunnel and good things can come. And part of the, the blessing or the good things that have come out of it is 
my involvement in pro-family organizations that the Lord led me to because of this. And, and I'm so passionate about it because of my own experience. And it has given me an outlet for all of that, that testimony and conviction that I gained during this to, to be able to then use that to help others. And sometimes I feel like I'm just in the trenches, but when we have opportunities like this to help share with others what we know, sometimes it sounds scary, but I think it is so much more empowering to know what's out there than to not know where the threats are coming from. And to me, that's been a great blessing um, because then I feel like I can do something about it. Whereas if I feel like I'm being attacked from all sides, but I don't know where it's coming from, I feel hopeless and powerless. So it's been very empowering for me to get involved and to understand where it's coming from. It's not, our kids aren't bad and, you know, our husbands aren't evil. They're just being bombarded from every side. And if we can know where those threats are coming from and do something to either educate people around us so that they can protect against that or that we can actually make a change either legislatively or policy-wise, that's a great way to go about it too. And I'm, I'm currently running for the state school board for that very reason. And that's not something I ever thought I would do, but I'm concerned because I see this creeping into our schools everywhere. And I want to be in a position to be able to, to help protect all kids, not just my kids. And so hopefully we can share with you a little bit about how you can do that, how you can inform your kids and empower them to be able to know how to handle this when they come up against it because it's not getting any better. And so it really falls on you as a parent to know how to protect them from these threats and teach them to, to do it themselves. So good. I just wanted to thank you for highlighting kind of a, a human behavior that comes quite naturally to everyone that's listening, which is when it just gets too big and too loud, the best thing to do is just sit down and stop. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's better just not to know that because then I don't have to think about it or worry about it. But I loved that you said that that behavior is disempowering but it's empowering to know more so you can do more. So thanks for that. Okay, Nicolene, you're on, let's hear. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for putting this together. And, and Natalie is such a great bridge builder and connector person that she is kind of one of the people behind all of us actually having this conversation that we're gonna to have today, which I think is going to be really enlightening the point is for it all to be liberating, right? That what we're doing today, when you learn stuff, you're more free. Because sometimes you're fighting something and you don't know really where it is. But if somebody knows where it is and that maybe you can even do something about it, then let's, let's do it then. Let's take it on, right? And that's what my uh, life seems to be completely about. So I am <laughs> the mother of four children. I'm previous foster parent of many children. Uh, I did treatment foster care for a number of years for youth ages 12 to 18, and they were all high-level care. And so they, their files came saying things like ADHD, OCD, ODD, RAD, kleptomania, compulsive lying, anger control, honesty issues, sensory issues, autism spectrum, oh, sexual issues for sure, because many of them were perpetrators. They'd been perpetrated on, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we had a lot of sexual addiction, stuff like that that we were dealing with. 
in our home back in those days. And that was when my oldest children were just toddlers. We started taking in teens and we did that for a number of years. And not long after taking in these teens, in fact, right at the beginning, I thought, okay, what am I going to do here? We're taking in some really intense stuff. What do I know that they need to know? And the answer was self-government. They need to know how to control themselves. That can be a lesson for life that they can take forever. And that was something that I had started learning when I was 14 years old, when I had lying problems and problems with the relationships with my parents and other things that impact 14-year-olds, right? I started taking control control, making skill sets for myself and teaching myself at that time because I'm really good at forms and structures in my head. I put together models and skill sets for myself for how to conquer my problems. And so anyway, I thought this is what they need. And I on purpose always took ones that had lying issues because those are the ones nobody else wanted, but I knew how to help them because I'd been through that one myself. Anyway, so the sexual thing is something that I'm very familiar with, trying to help them recognize, analyze, conquer, feel safe conquering those types of addictions and things that they're dealing with. And so frequently, I get to speak out about that around the world. But after years of teaching people self-government, because people started seeing what I was doing in my home, they said, come to our school, come to our support group, come to our church, and please talk to us about parenting, because you're working with these troubled children, but they're changing so rapidly. It seems like something you're doing must work for just regular parents. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I'm raising my own children this way, you know, as well. And so I thought this would be super short-lived. I thought, sure, I'll give my little contribution to society, you know, and so I did a few of these events and I thought, no problem. And then the events started to be increasingly more, but I thought, oh, pe things go in fads, you know, people will get sick of it. And then in 2009, the BBC made a documentary of our family called The World's Strictest Parents, which was a pretty heavy label to slap on us, right? And then, and they brought two troubled teens to our home, both 17 both with some serious issues and people saw that after two days of tantrums, they just completely calmed down. And by the end they were crying and begging not to leave our family. And people are like, what, <laughs> what's going on over there? And I'm like, Oh yeah, we're really firm. Like they have to follow instructions, accept no answers, disagree appropriately. Like they have to learn certain skills, but they feel so comfortable knowing they're in complete control of their own self-government and where they fit in and the roles in their family and how it all works, that they find liberation. They are free. And that's why they don't want to leave. So at that point, people were like, where's your book? And anyway, so it didn't go away. It, the short story is it didn't go away. I thought it would be short-lived. It wasn't. So it's now 11 years after that program. And I've been at this teaching thing for 21 years now. And about eight years ago, there was an organization called the Worldwide Organization for Women who asked me if I would go speak at the United Nations for them because they said, you know, there's this conference called the Conference on the Status of Women and it's all about women and all they talk about is sex. And nobody ever talks about how 80% of the women of the world are still raising children. And no one helps them. We want to help them. We want to do something really for women, not just talk about sexual movements that are happening in the world. And so I said, okay, and right before I went, they actually extended the, the 
well, I'm going to call it a call, okay? They extended the call. I said no. I said no, I'm too busy that if I would please be the president of this organization. And then I thought, uh-oh, I didn't even pray about it. That was just like me going, no, logic says no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so then, like everything else, I'm like, ah, I, I really feel a nagging. I need to actually pray about this. So I prayed about it. And as luck would have it, the, the current head, the reason why she had been praying about finding someone to take over the organization that had been around since 1977 was because her mind was failing her. So she didn't remember she'd already had that conversation with me. And then she asked me again. And at that time, I had already prayed about it. And I knew that I was actually supposed to do it. So without my own you know, not being my own idea. None of my life is my own idea. We are totally just going where he wants me to go. That's the name of the game for me, doing what I'm supposed to do, saying what I'm supposed to say. And so I had this organization. We have consultative status at the United Nations. We're part of, we're a partner organization with the World Congress of Families. We do a lot of legislative work in the state of Utah and other places around the world. We have members in all different countries around the world. And we're part of national coalitions for families and children, and we actually are heading right now in Utah, if you happen to be in Utah, we are heading an, a coalition with 31 organizations, which Natalie's part of, called the Empowered Families Coalition. And so our organization is the head organization for that right now. So those are just some of the things that keep me busy. And, and I'm with you, Maurice, my heart is always just right in those family relationships and in the self-government. That's my heart of everything I do. And somehow I get to do all this other stuff too. And luckily I have a really good team of people who do a lot of research to help me out with that so that we can make sure that we are pushing that self-mastery, self-government message out there to the world that it's a possibility and we need to not leave that out of the conversation because that's what's happening in a lot of situations now. Oh, yeah, especially because there is, you know, just in the area of sexuality, there is such a, you know, that doesn't need to be mastered. It just needs to be explored, celebrated, right? No mastery involved. Like our world kind of has that message that's really loud and clear and that kind of an anything goes and we are becoming obviously a hypersexualized world. Oh, Go sorry. Ahead. I was just going to say the thing that the people are thinking, one of the mantras that's in the minds of so many people, it's part of popular psychology, is follow your feelings. Just follow your feelings, which means every craving, it, you have to be entitled to be allowed to follow. Yeah. Maurice, I think you have something to say about that. I, I always have something to say about that one. <laughs> the, yeah it is like one of the most common themes that I deal with as a therapist, both as an individual marital and group therapist. When there are lots of literature, you know, that discuss know your feelings, uh, explore your feelings, follow your feelings. And so the phrases that we find ourselves using on a regular basis are a little bit confusing sometimes when we ask things like, so please clarify for me your value system. And there's a little bit of a glitch, like, what do you mean value system? Like, well, we know that you have certain values because everyone does. And then, so uh, are your feelings helping you live up to your value system? And then teaching them how to pay more attention to whether or not that's a useful thing in order to achieve what they're trying to achieve long-term. So we could spend the whole time today on that one, but the, the big warning is, 
when you have a value system, which may include quality relationships, that may include like respecting people in my presence or my space, then your feelings can't be the most powerful influence on your mind. Because bizarrely enough, feelings sometimes don't help in relationships. Sometimes they're disruptive and disturbing. So if you only follow what you feel, you will find yourself losing friends, losing relationships, and probably being disappointed in your own behavior. Nailed so. it. He nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. You people who are just listening, yeah, Nicolene had her thumb up like, yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, in, in the screen, like, keep going, Maurice. So good. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I'm excited that we're talking about today, because really, Nicole and Nicolene approached you, Maurice, and said, hey, we are working on something that really needs to, that we're completely aware of, this a database problem that is affecting our children. And we wondered if you would like to partner with us and if, if we could maybe talk to you because we know you're passionate about protecting children and you have a lot of experience on that pain point when children aren't protected with inappropriate sexualized images that you know are completely just not what children should be seeing like in for me personally if i could just add a personal note here i have such a hard time when i just sit and ponder about this and i consider how smart and good and capable the people of our world are like the smart good people that love families and care about important things how could it be possible that it is just part of our life now that my child no matter what is going to be exposed to something that's traumatic and inappropriate that could ensnare them without them even understanding what's going on. And I just, all I want to do is love you and protect you and teach you. But it's amazing to me to think, where is the lockdown on this? Why can't we say our children and protecting our children are so much, it's so much more important to do that than it is to protect everyone's ability to express their sexuality in whatever that way they want. So Nicolene, you had something. Yeah, I did. I mean, as you're talking, I'm just thinking, so there's, there's two different ways to present a message to somebody. And sometimes people try to mush them together, but one way is to exploit and the other way is to nurture. Okay. Those are two completely opposite ideas. When you exploit, you want to get something out of them, or you want to take somebody and control them and bring them to another place for money, for power, for, for control, for, you know, make somebody docile, whatever it is that's exploiting. On the other hand, the nurturer, like you, you want to teach, you want to nourish, you want to strengthen, you want to bring out the potential. You want, that's nurturing. And, and what we're seeing, I think, as a world of, you know, even daddy's nurture, okay, there's a lot of people who care about children who feel like we need to nurture and protect these children. We're seeing the children just being exploited anyway, sometimes despite our very best efforts. And which is where the which is where the self mastery comes in because you got to be having lessons and skills and things to know and you got to prepare the space. But even then, even then, you can still have 
a, a situation where children are exploited. And so, I mean, that's a strong word, but that's really what's happening. And I feel like we need to say what it is, you know. I appreciate you saying it like that. Because really, that is, I mean, the way that I came to Life Changing Services is I was completely traumatized because the child that I'm in love with, that I have done everything to protect, has absolutely been exploited, manipulated, and ensnared right under my supervision and been at this for years, a couple years before I found out. That was so maddening to me to think that something like that could happen right in my home without my knowledge. And the reason that it could happen is because there wasn't anything to stop it except for me, this woman who had been ambushed by the internet. Do you know what I mean? I was, it was just seems like there is some responsibility that we as a, just as really smart people who are all under heaven would think this is completely not okay. But that's what we're finding. We live in a world where there are things that are going on that many of us aren't aware of. And that's why you're here today is to highlight one of those things. So Maurice, tell us a little bit about when Natalie and Nicolene approached you with what's going on. Here's what we want to know. If you'll tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, Let me give a little background on where my mind is at on this and why it's there. I am a middle child from an average family, from an average town in an average state in the middle of nowhere. Okay. And so, you know, when I entered this position with hope and naivety as a therapist, I was surprised. I heard rumors about things that can go on in households and families that are painful and destructive. I I had stereotyped that bad people do bad things and good people do good things. And, and so you just got to tell the people not to be bad and then they won't be bad anymore and shake your finger a few times. And, and to this day, lots of people bring their loved ones to me as if I'm the school principal and I'm supposed to shake my finger at them and say, you've been bad, don't be bad anymore. To my surprise, the people I work with are people who are extremely dedicated to being good, but their behavior has been pulled out of their control in many ways, not much different than a person's behavior after they've been drinking too much alcohol, after they become an addict already. So my motivation to have this conversation comes, I'm going to describe it backwards, On a daily basis, I get to hear an average of four to eight women cry. That's on an average day. I hear them tell me their story of how they try to be good as teenagers and be ready for marriage and be enthusiastic and happy and gleeful and adorable as married people. And then for some reason along the way, their husband sent the message that her adorableness was inadequate that her cuteness and her other features were not quite enough. But he didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to slide into a world of behaviors that would make my wife cry. In fact, if I ask the right people, they'll say it's none of her business and has nothing to do with her. I don't know why she's so sad. It's not like I slapped her. I don't know why she's all getting weird about it. And so then I get to know the guy, and I'm also, what's the story? And he's all... 
don't like this. This isn't fun for me. I want a wife that smiles and relaxes and enjoys my company. And I don't like having patterns of thought and behavior that are off, off of my own value system. And I go, well, let's take a walk down memory lane and see if we can find out when this all started. And we start going backward a year or two or three or five or 10. And what a shocking surprise that in almost every case, their first exposure to biochemically stimulating visual stimuli was before their frontal lobes were fully developed. Okay. Now there's lots of different ways of saying that. Okay, we can say that junior high boys are passing around some porn. Okay, but if you say it that way, you're not getting the science of it because that's really easy to say, well, boys will be boys and perverts will be perverts and it just is what it is. So let's just say, oh, well, what are we going to do? Keep them from doing that? Why even try? It's like trying to stop the wind from blowing or the snow from falling. It's just what happens. Okay. I heard a sad story, and someone can debate it some other time about whether or not sexuality can bring an element of addiction to it. We're not going to waste our time on that today. But I heard a story of some parents who thought it would be funny to let their son as a child drink alcohol from their baby bottle. Because that's funny. It's kind of, you know, what's it going to hurt? It's just funny. All right. So sadly, I've heard more stories than that. I mean, why do we make such a big deal out of keeping 13-year-olds from drinking alcohol? Oh my gosh, we're so controlling, we will even make laws against children drinking alcohol. Why? Because we don't trust that their frontal lobes and their value systems and their internal self-governing capabilities are strong enough. So we become controlling and we don't let them we minimize their exposure we do not let our cultural standards validate well it's important that they get exposed to all things so they can have choice that's kind of the philosophy we need to expose them to things so they can have choice but somehow we understand that exposure to alcohol and drugs will impact the brain in such a way that it's compromised. The decision-making process is compromised. The ability to formulate value systems and life plans becomes compromised so that if someone has been regularly exposing themselves to alcohol or drugs, no one's surprised that they're ability to maintain a position as spouse and parent is compromised when they reach the adult world and no one says oh my goodness didn't see that coming because we actually see that that is a scientific concept and so if we found out that someone was slipping our junior high kids a little bit of meth on the side we would not say, well, it's important that they have exposure to things so they can make choice about whether or not to be meth users. Okay? We do not say, oh, goodness, someone's slipping my junior high kids some alcohol. We don't say, well, they need to have those experiences so they can have freedom of choice when they're older. All right? It is a little more complicated when it comes to sexuality. We 
um, want our youth to enter the adult world with a reverence, appreciation for, a, a sense of glory in the miraculous power of sexuality. So there seems to be a dichotomy. You only have two choices. You either celebrate the liberal approach to sexuality, or if you're not one of us, you must be one of them star-bellied sneeches who think that you must be sexually oppressive, you must be a shaming and guilt-producing society. You must be saying that sex is bad if you're not saying that sex is good. Because there's only two choices. You either have to celebrate liberal sexual mentality or you have to be one of those oppressed, depressed, and sexually obsessed people. So we actually have functioning frontal lobes who can actually think through this stuff more complexly. We believe that someone can have complete sexual self-mastery and celebrate and reverence its glorious power. We think you can do both. Okay? We think, and we have so much confidence in a 13-year-old brain, that we think if with some hand-holding and guidance and some participation, you can actually help them acquire for themselves a reverence for, a glory in, if I do my job right with a teenager who has a sexual addiction, I expect that he will have a gloriously fulfilling sexual honeymoon with his wife with complete liberal mentality towards bonding activities with no hesitation or guilt. Oh, but wait, you can't teach a young man to conquer pornography and also have him have a liberal psychological openness to sexuality when he's married. Actually, you can. Actually, if you respect the complex intelligence of a developing young man and a developing young woman, they actually can have a glorious approach to sexuality. But if we just make it available to them, like a few glasses of alcohol or sneak in some meth or crack or cocaine where they can learn about it on their own and gain some freedom of choice on their own with no guidance system, then we have not done them any favors. We have not helped them use their developing frontal lobe. And so when we find out, and it's not so hard to discover that there is a financial mentality behind making available addictive substances while the frontal lobe is still developing, who knew that these marketing people like, oh, we're so surprised they're addicted to our substance by the time they're 20 years old. Oh, dang. Um, we decided not to invest in cigarettes and drugs and alcohol because we found a more financially profitable industry where if you just get them hooked on sexuality at an early age, then you can hook them and keep them for quite some time. It's not really that important to us whether or not it breaks their value system or whether or not it hurts their marriages or whether or not it makes them compromised parents. And so when we have spies in the community who find the enemy infiltrating our community, we want them to have a chance to tell us about it. I would never have known about 
how databases in libraries can be accessed in such a way that we can slip some kids some psychological crack meth cocaine. I know some of you out there will say, but sexual pornography is not addictive. Call me sometime. We'll have that chat outside of this meeting. And, well, I will hold my tongue as to how you'll feel after that conversation because we don't need to talk about that now either. So I'm going to move the attention over to Natalie and Nicolene to discuss what exactly is a database. How is this happening? How is it getting exposed to us? So this is Nicolene. Um, I think Natalie probably should go first, but I just wanted to really thank you, Maurice, for bringing up something that's important that, that needs to be part of this discussion today, and that is people who are placed in a position of trust, okay? So I think you did a really good job of talking about how there are people who we think we can trust, right? Who are in a position of trust. And so we don't check, we don't question, we don't know, we just assume. And that is definitely one of the biggest problems that we have in this database issue with libraries and schools that's around the world. So anyway, Natalie, maybe you can highlight the issue and then I probably have a lot of details I could add. You do. So I, I'm like, I'm one of those spies. I like to know what's going on. And we've found it coming in from every which way. And schools of all places should be the safest place for our kids. And sadly, they're one of the most dangerous places for our kids for any number of reasons, whether it's, you know, kids on their cell phones accessing things on their own, or things like comprehensive sexuality education that is bringing Planned Parenthood type curriculum in that is meant to hook kids on sexuality, sexual behavior, so, you know, for because they stand to make a profit of, off of it. They're grooming. It's called yes. grooming. It's grooming, which, you know, in your world, you know, it's how kids are prepared for sexual abuse, right? That exploitation that you talked about earlier. And so, just one of the ways that came to light a couple of years ago is these school databases. You've probably heard of some of them like EBSCO where kids go to do research or homework and it's supposed to be a, a safe place off the, off the internet that they can search to find all the information to write their reports or research things for their classes. And it's a place where internet filters don't work. Because it and and Nicolene, I'll let you explain how that all works. But again, this is just one avenue that these things are getting into the schools. And as parents, we can't prepare our kids or protect them if we don't know where these threats are coming from. So if we can help our kids know what to watch for and to speak up when they see something, and this whole conversation is in hopes that we can collect stories that of kids that have had been exposed at school so that we can hopefully at a legislative level create some laws to protect against these database breaches. So I'll oh. let you take it from there. So just so you listeners out there, I wanted you to double hear that, that it's important as you're listening today, the reason they would need, right Natalie, the reason you would need more stories is to create more evidence so that legislators would hear what an issue this is and how many people this has happened to. And so as you're listening, if that's something that's happened in your family, we'll be telling you how to reach out and get a hold of 
Natalie and Nicolene to let them know that you'd like to be part of this and share anonymously or otherwise just how that's happened in your family. It's like, you know, we have a great opportunity right now because the Judicial Committee at the legislature has asked us for our input. They now understand that this is a problem. They're not denying it anymore, but they just don't know how big of a problem it is. And so the more stories we can collect, the more, the better our chances of having them take it seriously and hopefully, you know, create a bill or something that turns into law to help protect kids. That have- just to help you hear that again, that we would really <laughs> appreciate your stories, just to help you hear that one more time. So I'm the one that brought this problem to the state of Utah. And, and Natalie's talking about the Utah legislature. I know people are, you know, probably joining this from all different places all over the world. But this is a global problem. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that. This is in every state in the United States. This is in just about every country in the world. And I'll explain how that is. But when I brought this to light, I love to bring things into the light, one of my favorite things to do. Anyway, when I brought this to light in the state of Utah, people were shocked. I mean, I was like calling out all the guards. I'm like, you guys look at this. And I said, look, get on your phone here. I'll walk you through it. Boom, 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 boom. Or get on your computer here. We'll take you into the Utah online library. I'll show it to you. And people were so sick. They're like, what? And I said, I need people to help me look at this. And they're like, I cannot look at that. I cannot. And so here I was praying my guts out going, I have to find proof. I've got to get a team of people who are willing to go in here and take pictures of this. And to find this junk and show them. So we started this big project. Well, not long after bringing it to light, there were some legislators, some more liberal-minded legislators, I would say, who were saying, Nicolene Peck is a liar. Nicolene, she's making this up. This is a lie. And so now that is like a, a statement. Little do they know my own self-government journey with lying, and that is definitely not true. Anyway, <laughs> coming that when I was 14 years old. But anyway, and, and little do they know that, you know, everything about me is always about checking and knowing and standing for light and truth. And that is it. Like, that's all I do. And so the people that know me were like, yeah, we don't believe those two words go together. But, but that is kind of what's been going around. And so a lot of people weren't taking it seriously. This last year, we did a big training for legislators. And finally, they went, holy cow. And I had to show them some of the ugly pictures. I had to say, I know I shouldn't show you porn, okay? But, and I'll cover up some things for your protection. But the children are not being protected. This is what they are getting exploited with. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to explain, if it's okay, Karen, what the difference is between a database and the internet, because I think that's important to know, and how our children actually have access to this. And then a, a brief story about what's there and what these database companies have to gain by it and then what we can do about it, which right now the action step is we need the stories. We need the input just to say my child was exposed at school, even if it wasn't their first exposure, were they exposed at school? That's all we need to know. We just need to know where they, if you want to tell us more details, great. If you know for sure it was a database, great. But even if it wasn't a database, if we can just have numbers of people who are seeing stuff at school, that gives us the proof that we need to, you know, put some teeth into this. And we're hoping not just in the state of Utah, we're hoping the whole world, because I am networked in with people trying to protect children throughout the entire globe. And, and so no matter where you are, if you can give us that story, and, and that's a true 
thing or, or you say my nephew was exposed at school. Maybe it wasn't you, you know, or my niece's boyfriend was exposed at school. It, even if it's those kinds of stories, we would love to hear those things because we've got to get some data. All right, so how a database differs from the internet. Um, internets can be filtered, databases cannot be. But you enter a database through the internet. This is why it's confusing, okay? So you go online onto a, a regular website and then you go into a portal. So it's like a door that goes into a box, okay? It's like a black box. Nothing gets in the box or out of the box unless somebody chooses for there to be a pathway in or out of that box. So once you go in, it's like being in a private building, okay? And then once you're admitted in the private building, they are in charge of their own filters, their own content. And even though there's still a URL showing there on your screen, that URL is for the database that you're in and it doesn't flag or track anything because it's now privately owned content, okay? So I have a website and I can make a, a, a little black box part of my website if I want to. And I could lock it down so that nothing could detect it. It's a way that you can create privacy. So what we do is we allow children to go into what we think around the world is a private building where the internet can't touch it. And it's promoted to school districts, and in Utah, the UETN, the Utah Education and Telehealth Network, which gets millions and millions of dollars from our state budget every year. The database companies say to them, hey, we have a safe way for your children to search. We know it's safe because it's a database, and nothing can get in or out of this database unless we allow it in or out. Now, that sounds pretty good right? It sounds like, well, good. Somebody's going to review the content and make sure that it's child approved, you know, child appropriate, parent approved content. And so that's the claim. Okay. So then they get the money from our states and our state then hooks through the, the web pages in libraries, like the Utah Online Library, every library you can go and access all these databases. It's made available for every library. And every online school, charter schools that are online, and every just school school, in school libraries, in classrooms, on child tablets. And that some teachers will say, you can't get your stuff on the internet, you have to get it out of the database. In fact, my daughter, who goes to BYUI, was told in her English class, this last year, she had to find her sources on the EBSCO databases. When we found out about this breach, we contacted the LDS church and told them, you know, all of your schools that have total values and codes and everything, honor codes are hooked into this. And they went, what? And it was like this huge shock. And they were trying to get out of it. We'll explain why they couldn't get out of it. The word is librarians. But anyway, we had a, we had an issue with that when we disclosed it. So, so let's go back to our building. We're in a building. We can't get out. We can't get in, supposedly. 
So then, how does porn get in there? Well, with a little bit of research, what we found out was that these big database, which these database companies are conglomerates, okay? Back in the day, they started out smaller, and then they started buying up every database that's out there. So now they house big monopolies on these databases. You cannot get the Harvard journals unless you have the EBSCO database. Okay, this is how it works. So it's like all of the library, all of the colleges think well, we have to have these databases, right? So that's why there's church schools that have all of this filth that's in there. So anyway, what we did, we researched and we found some of their materials for advertising. EBSCO in particular, we started with because it's one of the biggest ones. And we found that they were advertising to periodicals, magazines like GQ, Cosmopolitan, Hustler, Penthouse, uh, Skateboarder, whichever, okay? Because EBSCO used to be a magazine, what's the word I'm looking for, where they would print a magazine that would tell you what's in a whole bunch of magazines, you know? Okay, I forget the name of that. I, I, it's on the tip of my brain, but it won't come out. Anyway, but you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so EBSCO says to them, hey, listen, you can put your stuff in our databases if you pay us. And what we will do if you pay us is you will get to have access to your target market. It will increase your subscriptions. You will create more customer base, okay? This is what they promoted to them. And I've got copies of all of those flyers that are sent out to those periodical companies. Anyway, so those businesses are paying to put their stuff into the secure building, okay? And then our school districts around the world and our maybe even state school technology people, networks, they are paying millions of dollars to get access into the building. So the people who own the building get money on both sides. And who's the target audience that is supposed to be being protected on one side and then the target audience for business on the other side? The children. You know what that's called? Exploitation. That's child exploitation, and that's what's happening, and it's, it's nobody knows. It's, if a teacher even finds out about it, they're like, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. But you know, when I talk to teachers, I even talked to this tech guy out where I live who was over all the school tech. He's like, oh yeah, we all know that stuff's there, but like, we cannot look at that. We will get fired. Well, this is a problem. And then they make children oftentimes sign things at the beginning of the school year where they say, we will not look at pornography on school computers. So if something comes up, is the child going to tell what they searched on the computer? No way. Because they already signed a promise. Now all of a sudden in their minds, they are dark and dirty and bad. When something has popped up to them, one of the state school board members her son was first exposed to porn and has an addiction and has been struggling through that on a school database. And she finally found out that that's how it happened. So anyway, that's the situation that we find ourselves in. And when we have told the database companies, hey, this isn't okay. And we, even in our state, we shut it down. They shut it down for three weeks because I went and complained, which is proof that there's a problem, okay? Proof. 
And, and by the way, I want you to know what, what we're seeing in the database. They're seeing pictures, videos, and there's written words. And some of the written stuff is the most graphic. It's like, I don't even want to say it, okay? But then there's also live links in there that go to Penthouse Magazine and Nudity Magazines and other websites where the adult men arrange hookups with young boys. Like that's the whole point of the website and where there's more junk that's there. So that kind of stuff is all the kinds of stuff that we found in there, plus more. I won't burden you down with all of that. But anyway, so they shut it down, which is proof there's a problem. Then they said, oh, we didn't know you wanted the filters on. We'll turn those on. So then they turned on the filters. They said it was fine. They did a bunch of cleaning, supposedly. And it was slightly better, but the the senator that I'd been working with to get this happening, as soon as they turned it back on, he contacted me and he said, well, it's back up. I looked and within 15 minutes, I found live links to penthouse and bad pictures and stories of a sixth grader having sex with their drama teacher. And so I was like, nope, it's not good enough. And so then they said, well, you know what, if you find anything, you can send it to us and we'll review it and we'll decide if we will, you know, do anything about it. And so for months and months, I kept sending them stuff. And then finally, I'm like, why am I doing this? Why is one person trying to search out every porn possible in the databases that it's continually added to? And that's not, this needs to go away, like really, really go away. And so we've got to hold their feet to the fire. So there are people all over the world now, especially in the United States, people in Texas, people in Indiana, people in Colorado, people in Idaho that are working on passing laws and trying to get this thing fixed. But one of the biggest things is people just got to know about it. They got to know what the issue really is. So there you go. In a nutshell, that's the issue. And that's why we need stories. We've got to prove that this exists. And if we can find stories through this group, Maybe even network with some of your friends and say, do you have stories? I know you're not part of this group I'm part of, but I know you've been dealing with it too. Do you have stories? Can you give us stories? Because if we can find more and more stories and we can come together with a stack, of, a ream of paper and say, here, here's a whole bunch of stories, even if they're from all over the world, we can then take those stories, we can sort them out by state and country, and we can help everyone who's fighting this. This is like a Leviathan that is in, within a trusted place called school being promoted by trusted people called school districts and teachers. And the teachers are going to end up blamed and the districts are blamed. And you know what? It's not their fault because they don't even know. So we got to do something to hold them accountable. And that's what we're working on. Wow. Maurice taught me that's the word to say when you don't know what else to say. He's Wow. So for our listeners, it is scary. It's scary because, you know, what if, what if I get in trouble? Or what if someone thinks something like, oh, I was looking for it, et cetera. We, we have learned how to have these conversations, so we'll help save you some time. Karen taught me that moms need words because it takes them forever to figure out how to talk to people. Like you keep using mom words and everyone just looks at you like you're ch talking Chinese or something like that. So one of the phrases that we've learned is the phrase run into. So if I'm talking to my daughter, who's been in high school, um, just graduated, it's not hard for me to have a conversation with her where she doesn't need to feel any embarrassment if I just ask the phrase, have you run into any pornography on your school computer? Now, 
There may be some. Well, what if my kid hasn't run into it? They're actively seeking it out or something like that. Okay, Now is not a time to create psychological pressure to hold the child into a state of accountability. There's a time and a place for that. In the early stages of the conversation, we need to bring dark things to light. We need to get it to where we can actually talk about it, as Nicolene was describing. So let's start with, have you run into? Have you run into? Do you know someone who's run into where it came up out of nowhere? Okay. So as you bring a softer, non-shaming approach to bringing such things to light, that will put us in a place where we can now take a story down because in most cases, in most cases, there was a oops along the way. Those who put such things on the internet and or in databases specialize in using search words. So if I'm looking for something on To Kill a Mockingbird, I've heard some stories about all sorts of phrases that can be used to bring up stuff that's shocking. And by the word shocking, we mean for a junior high person, shocking also means titillating, intriguing, okay? If you got a frontal lobe, it's not as so much intriguing as it is shocking, but the vocabulary changes depending on the development of your, of your brain. And so to help a youth be able to talk about such things, you just ask, hey, I've heard some rumors that you can practically not avoid that stuff at all. Like there's a, like a 99.9% .9 chance that you run into stuff and you're like, wow. And you're like, whoa, what do I do about it? And you're like, I just want to like, like, and so, so what happens after that? You know, whether the child shut their computer instantly, whether they told on somebody or whether they indulged for five minutes, five hours. Today, that's not the point. Today, that's not the goal of the conversation. We do want to provide quality treatment for anyone who's lost some of their sexual self-mastery. But today, the goal is to do some discovery. Now, moms, if necessary, please practice in front of a mirror, not passing out. If your child says, yeah, okay, we have learned that it is wise for mothers to practice their response to such shocking slash unfortunate discoveries. So if you need to, your husband may or may not be helpful all right, you pretend to be the teenager. I'll pretend to be the mom. Wait, I am the mom, okay? You pretend to be the teenager, and now most dads don't mind acting like dumb teenagers. Some of them actually sound, wait, we won't say that right now, like dumb teenagers, but they can say, so like, yeah, I was like uh, on the computer doing my math, my homework, and like I had to do some like research and stuff, and so like shazam, like whoa, I'm all like, holy cow. And the mom goes, so are you saying you saw stuff? Well, I'm like, not going to say that I saw stuff, but well, yeah. So role plays we've learned, not role play with the child, but role play in front of the child. In fact, this is a hilarious thing to do. Those of you who believe in a concept called family home evening, there's a fun game you can play. Have dad be the teenager and mom be the mom in front of the kids and just role play the whole conversation so that the youth can see because one of the biggest things that will stop them is they will fear the unknown of how you will handle it they will fear 
what they don't know. Now, shockingly, I've got lots of moms who fear themselves on how they'll handle it. Like, whoa, I think I would like strangle the child and blame them for it. Today is not the day to unleash on unruly children. That You can save that for another day. But today is a day where we just want the information to surface. I want to prepare you in advance, listeners, that you're probably going to be sad, that you're probably going to be shocked, you're probably going to be nervous. You're going to find with this podcast somewhere nearby a link that will take you to a place where you can share some information with us on various levels of confidentiality. You can share it with us with complete confidentiality. You can share it with us with just a bit of data, like I have a 13-year-old son or a 16-year-old daughter, so that we have an idea of a little bit more statistically useful information. Or if you're feeling all sorts of gutsy, you can give all of your personal information and inform us of what level of permission we have to use that. Please do not feel like I'm the only one sending something in, okay? Unfortunately, we're going to be getting tons and tons. We are sending this out just from my organization. We are sending this out to over 50,000 people, 50,000 households, where we expect to get somewhere near possibly 10% response, okay? We know that some of you will be scared, some of you will be nervous, but if we flash forward a little bit, would you rather go through a little bit of awkwardness by sending some information now or the discomfort that will be existing in all of our lives five years from now if we do not cut this dragon off while it's smaller, it's already too big, but if we don't kill it while it's small and fight against it, yeah, maybe we're starfish throwers. Maybe we're eye in the pie, eye in the sky, however you say that phrase, and we really want to make a big difference, but it looks like we're not going to make any difference. That's fine with me. I will not stop fighting, no matter how big the opposition is. And I have new friends and old friends, Karen, Natalie, Nicolene, and many others. We're not going to stop. We're not done. Okay, we're going to go the distance. We're going to go all the way through to the end until we have made a difference. And even if we can only save one family, then that's enough. Karen? Thank you so much. That's why we fight. It's so important. Natalie, will you just share with us any thoughts that are coming to you? Maybe what you brought, you described earlier why you came to this and why you fight, but really, what are some of your final thoughts? Oh, my goodness. I, I just can't bear the thought of any child feeling alone in that dark place and being exposed to things that they don't know what it is or how to handle it. And the thought of what it will do to their lives. If, because most of them don't know where to get help. They don't know that there is help. They just will always feel bad about themselves and think they're a terrible, awful person. And that is, I can't think of anything more tragic. And especially when I think about the youth these days and their incredible potential that they were sent to earth at this period of time. And that they have such a great work to do. And we need to help them in any way that we can. And 
And that starts with informing the moms and dads so that they can then address it with their child. And I just, any of us that have had children, whether our child suffers or not, our child will be affected by all of the others in their society. So maybe our children, we think, don't have a problem with this. They will still be affected by it because our whole society is being affected by it. And, and do we really have a choice? I mean, if we want to see the world continue to spiral out of control, and it might, but if we're doing something, like Marie said, we can help those that we do have influence on. And the more we can help, I, the, one of the great things about this is, is that when a child is helped and they come to realize that it's not them, that they're not a terrible, awful person, and they discover who they really are and they gain that self-mastery, there's nothing more powerful than watching them go out and help other youth figure it out also. Because youth listen to each other more than they listen to us. And so the more kids we can help individually, the more we'll have an effect exponentially as those kids then help other kids. And, and they are meant to be an army for these last days. And so what we're really doing is preparing them for their life's work because they have a big job ahead of them. And what an honor to be the generation of parents to help prepare them. But first we have to empower them and protect them so that they're not neutralized in the battle. Beautifully said. Thank you. Nicolene, will you take just a minute and any final thoughts? Yeah, I really loved how Maurice was mentioning the, you know, preparing ahead of time for how you're going to talk to children about it. And I thought some of his recommendations were really great. There's one thing that I always promote, and that's a principle of pre-teaching. So when you pre-teach someone, that gets rid of some of that anxiety, that worry, or that fear that they might have for how you're going to react. You not only pre-teach yourself, or, or pre-teach them, but you pre-teach yourself. you got to pre-teach both. So one really great pre-teach for you is that you say, you know what, no matter what they tell me, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not. I'm just going to say, oh, you know what, I don't think you're alone. And that's okay. And you're just going to say, that's it. Like, that's what you're going to say. And you prep, you prep the word and you pre-teach yourself and you say, I'm not going to get shocked. I'm not. I'm going to be calm. And as soon as they tell me whatever it is, I'm going to think calm in my own head. And then I'm going to think the words that I'm going to say. And then you tell the child, you pre-teach, you know what, I'm going to ask you a question right now. And you're going to be thinking probably that's one of those weird mommy questions. But I'm going to ask you a question right now. And I want you to know how I'm going to respond. No matter what you say, these are the exact words that I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say, oh, I am not surprised. And you know what, that's okay. I think we can do something about it. That's it. And you just pre-teach in that way. And then they're like, oh, that's what she's going to say. Say, oh, and also tell them, nothing you say will ever shock me. That's what I always told my foster children. I said, I promise I've seen it all. I've promised there's nothing that will shock me. Not one thing. So you can tell me anything. We can talk about anything. And they tested me a few times and found out that was true. And we've got to show them that we are that strong. 
okay? We were raised in the decline, the moral decline of civilization. We are that strong. We can do this. So another thing is with the data that we're wanting to collect, if it's just you don't have to know for sure if it was on a website or on a database. If it happened at school, that's going to give us enough. So you don't have to get into nitty, super nitty gritties with it and make them try to remember different things, okay? Just where it happened. And if they happen to know, great. But just if it was at school, that's what we need to know, that information. I just, my final thought, just final little in a nutshell, is... Everything I do is about the difference between freedom and bondage, okay? I learned self-government for myself, freedom. I don't want that emotional bondage and baggage to have to carry with me forever. I want to know that I'm strong enough to get rid of it. Well, our children are absolutely under attack from every angle, and we know that. We know it, and we're trying to make the places for them where they can thrive and survive and do the best they can in this world that's getting increasingly more complicated to sort through. But if they have that power that comes from a little bit of open communication and a little bit of, a little bit of light, a little bit of self-control, which all of us are so passionate about on this call, that is where the freedom starts to filter in. When they taste just a little bit of that, they get inspired. They get inspired to do more, to take action. And you know what I think? I think they'll be really inspired that you want to take action too. And this is one of those simple steps. It takes, you know, a little bit of work, maybe 10 minutes, go in, fill some, a little form out or something, or maybe even just click a, yep, seen it at school, age 16, Colorado, you know, fine, take two minutes. But, but it takes a little bit of time, but it's one of those courageous things that we can do as an army, right? As an army, because that's where we are at, is we are at war. And we don't need to have wars in our own homes, we don't need to have wars that are caused by lies and secrecy in our own homes. Let's bring things into the light, ask little questions, and choose ahead of time not to be shocked. Nothing should shock us anymore. We've been through a pandemic and all kinds of other weird things. Right? So good. Thanks. Thank you. Such great advice. Can I just say one more thing? If those that are listening don't have any personal experiences or know of anybody that was exposed specifically at school, but this is something that you're passionate about and you understand it's a problem and you want it to go away and you want something to be done about it, we will have a petition also that you can sign. So we hope to get everybody's name on the petition, those that shared stories and those that didn't share stories. We can just fill up as many lines yeah. on the we need to say we're concerned this isn't okay, right? Yeah. And it's so significant that today is July 3rd. Tomorrow is July 4th. In the United States of America, we are celebrating independence, freedom, liberty, right? And really, it makes me think of just how grateful, but as I've listened and felt so inspired here today, how grateful I am to know that the reason we can enlist we can stand is because really Christ's example, who we follow, we follow him as a champion for our freedom, but just that he stood gives us the courage to stand. If we can do a little bit 
to make a whole lot happen. So, hey, thanks so much for being here and for all your inspiring words. Now that you've learned about the pervasive problem of pornography available in schools and library databases, I invite you to take action in two easy ways. First, show your concern by signing the petition link available in the podcast program notes. And second, share your story. You can do that in as little or as much detail as you'd like by filling out the survey link in the podcast program notes. We are together in this important fight for our children. Thank you.